Hi, I'm Scott Whittle, and I beat the often path by investigating an American coot and moving to the birding capital of the United States. Welcome back to the Beat the Oven Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, I've given you boatloads of examples of people who've turned their unique passion into a career, especially an unexpected or unlikely passion. Today, we tap into the wide world of birding with my guest, Scott Whittle. Scott has turned his passion for birds into a startup with far-reaching implications for conservation and human well-being. His company, Terra, allows you to listen to the birds outside of your home or other places in the world and identify them instantly, including migratory patterns of birds flying overhead and so much more. Through his device, you can enjoy the sounds of nature in your own home, or you can learn a ton more about the world all around you. It's incredible. Now, if I'm underselling this at this point, just wait until you find out the full scope of his project and idea. It's mind-blowing. So here is the creator of Terra, Scott Whittle. Birds, the coot. What is the coot, first of all? That's how ignorant I am. <laughs> so an American coot is a bizarre chicken-looking-like bird um, that I found in Prospect Park in Brooklyn when I was living there. Um, I lived in Brooklyn for about 15 years after I got my MFA in photography there and was a professional photographer. Um, I'd been doing a uh, photography um, project where I was photographing in Prospect Park every day, which is this big park similar to Central Park. And that was starting to wind down. I'd been there every day for about two years. And uh, so um, I noticed a bird standing by the lake there that didn't make any sense. It was black with a white bill with these bizarre giant webbed feet. And I thought, oh, that must be a zoo escape or something. That's not like a bird that's from around here. And um, so I went to the bookstore and I got a little book on birds and looked at it. And sure enough, it was a bird that was around there that I just had never noticed before. And then I started thinking what other birds are here, started looking at them, photographing them, getting connected to some other bird watchers in the park. Um, and then within six months, I did a big year in New York state, which means that I tried to see as many species as I could in New York state. I broke the record for that year. And then I, next year I started writing the warbler guide with a friend of mine and moved to Cape May, um, which is the southern tip of New Jersey and one of the best places in the country to see migrating birds. So it started me down this path. And ever since we finished the Warbler Guide, uh, which is a very successful guidebook, um, and uh, have written a couple of apps. And I'm now working on a project called the Terra Project, which uh, whose aim is really to create these devices that will connect people to the natural environment around them. And at the same time, create a giant database for conservation. Well, that's fantastic. So <laughs> that's I've a, seen the movie. Short that's a great introduction. I didn't even have to do any of the work. You just <laughs> right. brought it all out there. Makes my job very easy. Uh, yeah. I've seen the movie The Big Year. I'm familiar yeah. with the concept of The Big Year. So can I ask, is John Weigel the Michael Jordan of the birding world? No, it's actually funny. So the big year people are a little different from other bird people. I would say the people who are most, um, people get most excited about meeting in the birding world are the bird authors, like the people who have written classic guides. Like David Sibley wrote uh, a book called The Sibley Guide, which millions of people have used to learn birds. And so uh, he's he's the kind of person that people get get crazy about. If you're in the big big world context which is a sort of game that sometimes people take too seriously but still a game um for uh in order to find birds and sort of have fun um then yeah you'll know you know those people but i would say that most birders would know david sibley's name first david sibley first and of course nicole kultzow is no slouch herself right <laughs> right <laughs> and actually you know what um uh, Greg Miller, who's the character that uh, Jack Black played, um, I just saw him actually in Ohio, and uh, he's really an amazing character, and he leads guides and stuff now, so people see him there. Fabulous. Well, what yeah. I love about stuff like this is that we've stumbled onto an entire world, and what fascinate, fascinates me about birding in general, a few things. One, like you said, it's something that people take maybe way too seriously, depending on who you ask or not seriously <laughs> enough. Um, right. 
But the other is that you've got this giant community of people who really care very deeply about this. And what I kind of like about it the most is that it's an excuse for people to get outside into the real world. It's an excuse for people to celebrate the world that exists around them. And it's a reminder, like you said at the very beginning, of how little we know and how little we care about the stuff that's going on all around us at all times. You say, oh, there's a bird at the lake. Most people just say, eh, whatever, I'm going to go get a hot dog, end, right? But some people say, well, what is that bird and how many birds are there? And it turns out there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them and you can go seek them out. And sometimes they live in a specific place and sometimes they move from one place to another. So it's this entire fascinating world that's just out there for people to explore. I think it's fabulous. Yeah. And a lot of birders who kind of get into this um, have what they call a sort of door opening moment. And for me, um, it was similar probably to a lot of people where you start to recognize, like you said, that um, in the spring and fall when birds are migrating, uh, a lot of birds migrate at night. And so this huge natural phenomena is happening right over your head while you're asleep. Even if you live in New York City, we would have, you know, you have thousands of birds migrating over there. Just sometimes a real sort of river of birds flowing over you and nobody notices it um, because it's at night and it's subtle. But if you're looking for it and you start to look for it, then you start to see it all over the place. And it's a really cool experience to get connected to that. And then in turn, what happens a lot of times to people, if they really get into it, you get into the birds and identifying them, but then you start to notice the plants and then you start to notice the insects. And then you start to notice all the other animals and stuff that are involved in the whole ecosystem. And uh, it really connects you. And um, for me, it's almost a sort of spiritual connection. I mean, when I go outside and go birding or walk around in nature, I really feel grounded I feel relaxed um, and I feel connected. And I think that feeling is something that's inspired me to do all the things I've done to try to get people into this, um, you know, hobby or into this avocation, because I think that it's, uh, it's been so beneficial for me. I I just really would love to share that with other people. Well, that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to share it with a whole bunch of other people. And before we jump into how you turned your passion into a mission and a successful Kickstarter-backed startup and all of that, I have to know, what did the American coot do to warrant an investigation? Was it tax fraud? Was there a bloody murder weapon somewhere? Right, yeah. What are we investigating here? We were investigating basically uh, bizarreness. Yeah, I think it it was uh, definitely violating some kind of bizarreness rule. So uh, bizarreness code definitely merited it. Yeah, of New York slash New Jersey. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I still think they're bizarre birds, and it's really funny watching them try to fly because they don't fly very well at all. So they sort of get up in the air and just hover over the water before they sort of flop back into it again. So yeah, still one of my favorites. Super cool. When we edit this, we'll put that picture. We'll just we'll if we can find some footage of it, we'll put it. I have a great I have a great photo of a coot for you. Oh, perfect. We'll put it up on the screen since I have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, Okay. But uh, you know, uh, the great theme of the show is figuring out how people can turn their strange ideas into something that can either make a career or make money or at least has the possibility of that something that is worth sinking one's teeth into for an extended period of time and. Clearly, you've done that as the producer of of books and of this startup. So before we bury the lead too much here, tell us about the startup and how the idea for Terra came about. So Terra was something that um, the short story is that a friend of mine, Mike Mike Lanzone, who runs a company called uh, CTT Cellular Tracking Technologies here in Cape May, um, we met probably a dozen years ago and I never forget it because we had a microphone building party in my house. Now I didn't know anything about this at the time. And so what we were doing, we we're getting these five gallon buckets and we had a bunch of nerds in a room pouring concrete into the bucket and putting a, um, a little microphone stuck in there. So it'd hold it. And then you take that bucket and you stick it up on your roof and it has a wire coming out of it so you can listen to whatever's flying over. And we stuck these buckets sort of around Cape May on people's roofs and different places. And then we were recording night flight calls, which are the, the sounds that birds make when they fly at night when they're migrating. 
Um, so that was our initial introduction and it's sort of been, uh, you know, continued from there. But a couple of years ago, Mike came to me and said, you know, he had known that he knew that I had worked on a, um, an app that, that, uh, tried to identify bird songs and calls just by sound. So it would, you would hear it and then it would tell you what it was. Um, and he was working at CTT doing all what they, what they make actually is wildlife trackers. So they make these little radio and satellite based tags that you put on all kinds of animals. So they just did penguins in Antarctica. Um, they put them on small birds, but even on uh, snakes and turtles and mammals and all kinds of other animals for different research projects. He said, I really want to create this project and make it happen. It's a dream that's sort of been in the birding community for, for some of us for a long time. And I really want to create a bunch of microphones out there across the country that'll let us listen to these birds flying over, which will be a huge benefit uh, in terms of our understanding of what they're doing and also for conservation to you know adapt well to changes that they have because we'll be able to listen and learn about migration in real time. So that means that, you know, it's, we'll literally be able to respond to it basically as it's happening, which um, for something like uh, the Cornell University has a big ornithology department and they're actually working with some buildings in Texas to predict when migration is heavy, they turn off the lights in the skyscrapers. And what that does is it prevents window strikes and that sounds like a small thing, but actually hundreds of millions of birds die from window strikes in urban areas every year. Oh my God. So by turning off those lights, you're saving tens or hundreds of thousands of birds. And if we Jeez. can do that across the country, then we can really make an impact, right? So, um, and Tara could certainly, you know, contribute to a project like that, but that's just one example of the kind of action you can take um, when you have good data like that. Super cool. So buildings are a huge problem. But before we get into this, I have to know, do windmills cause big problems for birds? Because those who are against sustainable energy sure seem to think so. Well, it's a tough one, right? Because we all, because I'm certainly pro sustainable energy. And I think wind power is great. Um, I think that it certainly can be bad for birds and also for bats, because bats actually the vacuum that those windmills create can kill them sort of if they get too close to it. But um most, I think most, if not all wind farms now have to go through an ecological, you know, environmental impact study. And interestingly enough, um, Mike, my partner, uh, along with uh, Casey Halverson at CTT um, on the Terra project, he actually got started uh, by, um, he got started sort of started this business because he was studying wind farms. And he had golden eagles were the target. So they were looking at these big, beautiful birds that like to migrate on the ridgelines and the mountains. And the problem is that that's where the wind is. So the wind farm companies want to put their windmills there. So Mike needed a way to track these eagles accurately. And he developed a new tracker based on cell towers, which no one had done before. And it allowed him to get tons of data and also figure out the best way for them to place these wind farms. So I don't think it's something you can't do, but you certainly just have to be conscious of, you know, the impact you could have and minimize that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, to me, I think there's nothing cooler in life at all than when one thing, like you said, is a gateway towards a greater field of exploration where you answer one question with 10 or 100 more questions. And it leads you to the ultimate conclusion that we're all connected, that we're all related, that these things <laughs> that we think are separate are actually not separate. Anything that gets somebody there is a win in my book. It sounds to me like your personal trajectory was one of ever expanding scope. So maybe in the beginning you say, hey, what is that bird doing? Then the next question is, can I get a photograph of that bird so that my friend will believe me that I saw that bird, right? Yeah, I have yeah. proof that That's I important. actually saw yeah. that bird. <laughs> yeah. And then you say, hey, what if I got an audio recording of a bird? Would that be nice? And then you right. say, what if I got a recording of a whole bunch of birds at the same time? What if I built a <laughs> network of microphones that recorded every bird in the whole country as they flew? Yeah, exactly. And then suddenly you're expanding this notion far, far, far beyond where it began. Yeah. How did you experience that continual expansion of scope of this idea? Well, I guess that um, 
I, I guess I was ready for it because I think that that initial spark that got me started, I really dove into it headlong. Like I said, the next year I did a big year and then the next year I moved to Cape May. So I was sort of really took it on. I think I was looking for something. And um, uh, I certainly didn't know it was going to lead to working on Terra. And that's the thing about these things is you don't know where they're they're going, you know, when you're in the middle of them. But um, I think as long as it's exciting and interesting, it's going somewhere. So that's good, you know. And I think that for me, um, you know, it was really exciting to try to, once I learned some about birds, trying to educate people about them and give them better resources to learn about them. And so that started, you know, that was the whole Warbler Guide and other apps that I worked on. And, um, and then that just sort of naturally led into this position now. But I, I wouldn't say that I, I certainly did not have a, a, um, a trajectory I was expecting. I was just sort of following the thing that I was most excited and interested in and trying to figure out a way to make a living at it, you know, or, or f- at least figure out a way to do it while supporting myself, you know, in some other way. And I was a photographer. I am a photographer. So that, um, has been great for me throughout my life because it's a very flexible profession, right? You can sort of do it anywhere. Um, and it also gives you access to places that you would never get access to, you know, even if that's just a wedding, you sort of get to see all the things that happen at the wedding behind the scenes and all the stuff that's going on and the drama because you're there to document it. So you get special access to it, but that's true for, you know, all sorts of things. You know, I once got to photograph, um, uh, at an oyster farm where they were out, you know, picking oysters off the um, up in Massachusetts and uh, went into the labs where they're raising the oysters and got to eat oysters right out of the water and so on. And that happened just because I was a photographer and was able to do that. So photography has sort of given me entree to all these different things. And it gave me entree to birds also. One, because it helped me learn them faster because I could take pictures of them and then study the pictures. And that really accelerated my learning process. But two, because it was a way for me to make money while I was in transition into doing birds more full time. So uh, at this point, I'm working, um, you know, as a partner with CTT, but I'm salaried working on this job, which is the first time I've ever had that. Actually, I've always been freelance mm. and um, it's been a long process to, to be in that position. Um, but um, it's also been fun the whole way. Like I haven't, I haven't ever felt like, um, uh, you know, I've rarely felt like this is terrible. I got to stop doing this or I need more, you know, a better, a different job or something because Although it doesn't necessarily make tons of money, it does actually have all these wonderful perks, which are, like I said, flexibility. I get to go outside a lot. I get to connect to these things I'm excited about. Um, I get to try to help people by teaching stuff and, you know, helping people learn about it. So it's been very rewarding that way. Yeah. What a great story. So let's talk about Terra itself. How does Terra work? What is the idea behind Terra? Okay, so Terra is a small device about six inches across. Um, it comes with a little stake, so you can stick it in your garden. You can stick it on your wall or on your deck. And it has basically just a microphone and a radio receiver in it. So it does two things. One, it listens. And the other thing is it tries to pick up radio signals. The radio signals part of it is it's picking up any tagged bird on a specific system that we work with. So any bird with one of those tags on it, it'll actually ping off of Terra and let us know that it was there. But then the user can also follow it and say, oh, where has that bird been? Where is it going? So if you ever see those maps of like this, you know, barn swallow went from Argentina all the way to boreal forest in Canada and back again, and you can see the little path that it took. That's exactly what you get to experience. Um, The other thing though, that's bigger is the listening. So the most basic thing is you can stream sound into your house. And I'm a person who loves to have the windows open um, whenever I can, because I like hearing the outside sounds and I just sort of feels more connected to me. And so when the windows are closed, um, I'm looking for a way to still have that experience. And that's exactly how Terra is designed to let you listen on headphones or on your speakers. It'll, it'll be um, streaming through your app. So you can actually, you know, listen, you'll have a free app with it. So you'll be able to listen through the app. Um, 
in addition to that, Terra is very special because unlike a lot of other birding um, tools, you don't need to know anything about birds with Terra. You just stick it in your yard and it'll actually start teaching you because really? it's going to identify the birds that it hears. So it'll say, hey, did you know there's two cardinals in your yard and four robins? What? And did you know last night there was a great crested flycatcher flew over and there's a Carolina wren, you know, a pair of Carolina wrens here. It'll actually start tracking all the birds that are there. Um, ultimately it'll track other things like insects and frogs and anything that makes a sound basically. Um, so that way you'll be able to keep a list of things, but also it'll give you a, hopefully a lot of portals to information. So if you want to say, uh, wow, that's great. I have robins in my yard. How can I attract more? Or do they nest here? Can I put up a nest box or something? Or what kind of seed do they like? Or just, where do they come from and what are they doing? And it'll give you information about all that stuff. So it'll help educate you about what's happening around you. To me, that's the most important thing of this whole project because it's creating a community of people who are becoming more connected to their local environment. And I think it's really critical in terms of conservation, that we have more people who are connected to the wildlife and the natural experience around them. It's not in Africa or South America, it's right in your yard. And it's really kind of amazing what goes on. If you're personally connected to that, I believe that that's gonna change how you act in the world in terms of you know, conservation and just protecting and being a good steward for all the animals and plants around us. Um, so many of the things that I see that I think have a negative impact on the environment aren't malicious at all. They just really come out of a lack of awareness of the impact that they have because yeah. that awareness is invisible to us. But if I, if so you're true. able to open your eyes to it, then it becomes much less so. So that's another, that's another huge benefit. Um, by the way, if you get tired of listening to your yard, we're going to have curated microphones around the world. So if you want to listen to Helsinki, water Finland. in, yeah, or Helsinki, right. Exactly. Any good place where there's um, wild natural places, probably not a lot of human voices and you can listen to those places. Well, you'll be able to connect to the birds um, of Chernobyl. The birds of Chernobyl, maybe. <laughs> How a little close bit we dark. can get with our microphones <laughs> there. Well, the microphone yeah, we, can get there, but the birds. Right. Can, I don't know about the people. You can yeah, drone one certainly. in. You can just drop it in with a robot. Exactly. See what's going um, on. You never know. You never know. That certainly would be good for for uh, keeping people's voices off of it. We have other stuff that works to to remove that too. But um, right, you say you've case, got two blue jays, two robins, and a Gary outside your house. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, Gary, exactly. 48, 40 year old middle aged man right. holding and his six pack, his native right. bird seed of choice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's certainly that one of the issues too. By the way, is privacy. So we. Um, are creating two two things. One, the stream that you have is just for you. It's encrypted. It's just for you. Um, the other thing is the identifications it does are done from little snippets of sound. So anything that goes up to a server is actually just little two-second clips. And so you can't really listen to someone that way. So it protects that. And in addition, we're actually working on digital filters that'll help us remove things like lawnmower sounds, human voices, car traffic. So believe it or not, you might get a better listening experience inside than outside because you'll be able to listen to the natural stuff without the lawnmower joining in the background. So Amazing. that's tear up. And that's the, that's the individual side of it. Even more exciting is the, is the conservation side of it. So here's, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Um, we want to put these microphones around the world, right? We're going to need thousands of them. So, how do we produce thousands of these microphones, put them out, maintain them, track the data that comes into them and identify all the species all in real time? Well, we certainly don't have the kind of budget you would need to do that and very few people or companies do. So what we figured is by crowdsourcing, we're creating, not only are we getting the benefit of having people maintain these sensors for us, but the people are getting a benefit that creates, like I said, this whole community and connection. So it's this win-win-win kind of situation. Now, once we start getting that data and spreading these mics out, 
we're going to be able to listen to bird songs and calls and all other kinds of natural sounds. And we're going to be getting data that has never been available before. So right now, the state of data is in terms of tracking birds is you put individual trackers on birds and then you can see where that bird goes, but you're not seeing the whole population and you sort of have to infer from the tracker that one bird, what everybody else is doing. Not only that trackers are really expensive. They start at $200 and they go up to $5,000. So, you know, you, you know, it's a, it's an expensive proposition to put trackers on a lot of birds. This system, you don't have to catch the bird. You don't have to put anything on it. You literally just listen and we'll be able to identify whole populations as they move. And also we'll be able to estimate populations much better than we can right now. Like for example, I just read an article in National Geographic where they said the estimated world, world bird population is between 50 million and 470, or sorry, 50 billion and 470 billion. So kind of a ridiculously wide number. And um, I think that's uh, shows you how difficult that problem is and how we really could use more tools to approach it. And I think Terra would be perfect for that. We'll be able to see populations. Now, the reason that data is important is because we'll know right away when things are changing for better or for worse. And so then we can go to the source and say, okay, well, this population of warblers was flying from this area of Canada and they've decreased 50% this year. What's happening? Let's go up there and check it out. Let's talk to the management agencies there and see what they're seeing. Let's check their wintering grounds and see if anything's changed there. And we can immediately respond to those kinds of problems and not only respond to it, but have the data to go to the government and say, we need to fix this because the government won't do anything without data. So if you don't, if you go to them and say, Hey, we're worried warblers are decreasing, they'll say, okay, what are the numbers? What do you want us to do? But if we go and say, Hey, we've seen a 72% decline of this population in this 20 square mile area in the last year and a half. And here's the figures from Tara or from, and in addition to other research stuff, well, now you have a chance at actually, you know, making a change. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but we've seen a 30% decline in bird populations in the last 50 years. So I did not know that. Yeah, it's a really incredible and frightening number to see just the overall population decrease like that. And I think that without uh, responding to it more effectively, um, we're really in a going to be in a crisis situation. You know, not just for birds, but for natural, you know, wildlife and nature in general. So I'm hoping that this will help contribute to helping that problem. Seems like a great idea. I mean, obviously, if the data is depressing, that's not so nice, but it is good to know. (laughs) Better to know, obviously, than not to know. Do you think that the average person... And the other thing is it's actionable and is local. See, that's the thing is, yeah, I hate environmental stuff because you're right. All it does is say... The world's ending, you know, forget it. The whales are dead. The birds are dead. You right. know, it's we might over. as well just give the oceans up. Are, the fish are gone. Right. If you don't just start India riding is a on bicycle. Fire. <laughs> California <laughs> will never have water again. Exactly. It's all a disaster. Part of that is a, is me- media trying to get attention for these problems, which I, I understand. But it's not actionable. But if I say to you, you know what, we're seeing a decrease in monarchs, uh, butterflies. If you plant a few milkweed plants in your yard, that'll help because they feed on milkweed. So um, if you can get that kind of local um, action going on, you actually can have a major impact. You know, we've seen huge reductions in completely wild spaces, you know, where you have just like pure forests or natural areas. But what that's been replaced by a lot of times is yards. And so if people actually manage their yards differently, instead of just planting grass, maybe you plant a few native plants or plant a little patch of milkweed or put a tree there that's local that, you know, will produce food for birds. You're actually on a larger scale could create a counterbalance to all that removal of other wild spaces. Hmm. So good. Do you think that the average person would be shocked to learn how many birds are in their area? Would it be more than they would expect if it starts monitoring and tagging them? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think that, well, I was in Brooklyn and we get over 200 species of birds in Prospect Park every year. So, um, and in terms of numbers, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of birds go through there. So, um, yeah, they're, they're there for most people. And I think that um, if you're not connected to it, it's a, it's a really nice surprise, actually. Um, especially this night flight stuff is really cool because this, these birds fly over your house at night. Almost no one, you know, knows that that's happening or sees it or hears it, um, because it takes, you know, you have to be looking for it. Um, but this will look for you and it'll say, Hey, you just had 10,000 birds fly over your house last night. You know, wow. And here's where they're going, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I mean, it's really, I, I think for most people, it's going to be a really fun surprise. Mm. Yeah. I know people like my own parents, they sit in the backyard, they have a bird feeder and they guess endlessly about what kinds of birds are there. They can identify a few. Right. I'm sure there are many more that they identify incorrectly or <laughs> just take a wild stab at. For people yeah. like them, I think it would be a great hobby for them to know definitively this. these are the types of birds. And like you said, what kind of seed is best? It's just a great little project for people who are sitting at home anyways. And totally. you can wake up and say, oh, we've, we've got a robin today. We haven't had one of those in a couple months or whatever yeah, the case may be. Exactly. That's, that's been fascinating. But what is interesting to me is the tech side Every single bird has a sonic signature unique enough that you can identify it based on a microphone capture? Essentially, yes. Wow. Um, there's, there may be a few birds that are difficult to separate. Not really, though. And the biggest issue actually is um, a few, some birds don't vocalize or they migrate during the day and don't vocalize. So that means you won't be able to track those species by sound. Like, for example, um, trying to think of a, a bird that typically is quiet when it flies. Um, I'll think of one, but in any mm -hmm. case, the vast majority of them do actually make sounds and are totally identifiable by sound. Now it might sound the same to an untrained ear. So you might hear um, like two birds might sound like, and you know, it's like right. almost the same, but, um, like but if when you I look tried at to a, learn Chinese, <laughs> Right. It's all the, yeah, I am actually that's subtle, right? <laughs> so you have to train your ear for it. But also if you're, we use these things called sonograms, which are pictures of sound. Um, you might've seen them. They're like little lines oh, that definitely. you'll see representing yeah. sounds. And those sonograms are very different. You know, when you, so you're, you might not pick it up with your ear, but you'll definitely see it in the picture. So you can tell them apart. Do you think that you're going to be creating the definitive guide, just like Wikipedia is the hub of knowledge? Are you right. creating the guide for the sonic signatures of all birds as you go? Is that a, a goal to categorize more and more and to have the central location of this is what they are? Well, yeah. So with the warbler guide, we started that project, which was to, we did it for warblers, um, which is a small group of birds. It's only about, uh, you know, maybe 50 birds. Um, but uh, in North America, but the, um, I think that ultimately that's where we want to go. And ultimately uh, one thing that I spend a lot of my time doing actually when I'm giving talks and stuff is teaching people how to listen to birds and how to listen to their songs. So can I identify them and using some basic, you know, methodology, but we really in the warbler guy wanted to standardize the way people describe songs so that we can understand them better. And we did a lot of that. Now the problem is that we just need to apply those descriptions and rules to all the songs. And there's a lot of songs. So it's, it's exciting on the one hand, because, you know, if you were to go out and try to come up with a new way to visually identify a bird, so some kind of new mark or some kind of stripe or a bill length thing or something that you could identify the bird from, you would be really hard pressed to do that in North America. That almost never happens. But in terms of sonically identifying them, it's wide open. You know, if you start studying bird sounds, you'll be coming up with new rules, you know, once a day. Um, so, and that's because it's so understudied and sort of undertaught. And so it's a really exciting field in that sense, because it's, it is kind of wide, wide open and, and needs a lot of attention. It's actually easier to identify them via sound than visually. Oftentimes it is. 
Yeah, oftentimes it is. There's there's definitely certain birds cool that, that you can only identify by sound. Like what? they look identical. And actually, another really cool thing is nowadays when when they discover a new species of bird, often the first clue they have is it's making a different sound, because they it may look just like a related species, but it may sing a different song. And if you sing a different song, then um, you're attracting a different mate. Right. So that means there's a, a species differentiation happening there. So you might discover a new species doing that. We might even discover one using Terra, you know, yeah. by by noticing these different sounds. Seems inevitable, honestly, eventually, given as it increases in scale, how could it not, right? Yeah. Somebody somewhere yeah. will put one and something new will come along, I think. I I would hope so. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. Well, it, it calls to mind an article I read some time ago, which may not be related, but probably is that birds in urban environments, they're straining their voices. They have to sing a lot louder to be heard over the yeah. din of the urban chaos and street noise. Right. How is that affecting bird populations, this need to be heard above traffic? I'm not sure that we know. Um, I, certainly, I certainly have read some of that stuff about how it's changing um, the volume. It might even change the structure of the song because, for example... Um, uh if you're creating a louder song you might have to modify the structure of the song to make it easier to sing or um if you have an environment that's suppressing say low frequency sounds you might start moving into a higher frequency so you can be heard better um, or if there's a lot of noise in low frequencies like road noise and stuff like that is pretty low frequency so you might have to move your song up in pitch in order to be heard but um I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what the actual impact on populations is. It's probably not going to be positive. You know, I think that um, the lucky ones are the ones that are adaptable. You know, some birds are very good at being around people and adapt to them. And actually they tend to thrive when people, you know, build cities and roads and those kinds of things. But the vast majority of birds aren't like that and they don't adapt well to that kind of thing. So probably not probably not good. We'll see. I mean, you know, it's, it, that's the thing is without data about populations and so on, that's very specific. It's hard to know whether it's doing anything to the population or not. Well, I myself find myself in a very noisy environment, which is known as the internet, uh, the billions of podcasts <laughs> that are out there. So my solution is just to yell louder. That's yeah. what I do to draw attention. <laughs> I just scream louder in the hopes that people will pay attention to me. Right. That's well, my method. So that's a great method, I, I especially on the internet. Just this, yell harder <laughs> so somebody pays attention. Come on. And I never realized until I was doing what is effectively a startup, this terror project, just how loud you need to yell because, <laughs> right. boy, it is noisy out there on the internet. It's it so hard to get attention and, and get people to listen to you. And especially yeah, so. when you're talking about something as low key and Zen as let's listen to some birds in our house. That's the hook, right? Put this thing in yeah. your house. You can listen to birds. And somebody says, I enjoy yeah. waking up to the sound of birds. It's nice. Right. It does sound yeah. really nice. What a great way in. And then later this mystery unfolds where they start getting deeper and deeper into what's actually going on. Super, super cool. But in the beginning, exactly. it's a nice hook. And what is interesting, we've been trying to schedule this for quite some time. Thankfully, we were finally able to get here. But yes. the amount of backers that you've received on Indiegogo, I believe it is. Has, uh, both, yeah. Kickstarter okay. and Indiegogo, yeah. Has raised by nearly, I want to say, 50, 75 grand since I first started doing research on you. Um, you've yeah. crossed 300,000 now in, mm -hmm. in backing. So people are taking notice. Yeah, they are. And we've we're, we've been... You know, I've been around birds and this stuff for a while, and I'm finding that to me, this is the best idea I've come across. It's the best idea I've come across in any field, you know, in my lifetime, like um, that I could be personally involved in. You know, it's really uh, has so much potential and use. Um, and so many people are interested in it that, yeah, it seems to just naturally be taking off because people hear about it and they say, oh, I want. I want one of those, of you know? Course. And um, so we have uh, over 300, like you said, we've raised over $300,000. We have about 1500 plus backers. 
Um, we're doing pre-sales right now. You know, obviously we're we're creating production right now, but we're actually not, they're not in stores or anything. They should be in stores. We're hoping by the end of 2022. Um, and uh we will, you know, have a hard product in hand. But in the meantime, a lot of people have been really wonderful in supporting this this dream, and um, they've made it possible for us to actually actually do it. Yeah. It, it seems like one of those kinds of products that anybody with a parent or a grandparent, it's just so easy to recommend. It's just such yeah. an easy thing to gift somebody else and sure. say, hey, explore this world, especially for people. I had a guest recently who deals with the elderly and about how limited in scope their world is, especially in the later stages yes. of life, and giving them a, a window to this world, anything yeah. like that is just so incredible. I think yeah. I'm stuck in a hospital bed. I can't physically move, and that particular person was developing virtual reality, which is somewhat related, actually, and but there might be some synergies there in the future, almost I undoubtedly. But the idea I that I can listen in on a foreign environment or get to know my environment better or make some changes, that just just super cool deeply spiritually awesomely cool <laughs> well thank you that's the way i and, see it and it's i think nature. that yeah it's, I love and nature. there's actually there's so much research about this too about there's a lot of papers actually about the positive effects of listening to natural sounds so um a lot of mental health benefits but actually believe it or not physical health benefits they find that recovering from surgery for example listening to natural sounds can actually accelerate recovery a whole bunch of other stuff. There's a lot of legitimate peer review papers out there talking about that. And we are certainly really interested in working with people in assisted living, yes. uh, hospitals, yes. schools. Um, we're actually working with a group called, we just started uh, talks with a group called Birdability, which is about helping people with disabilities get access to birds and birding. And so there's so many ways I think that this will bring people in. Plus the people who are just handicapped by digital living you know, in the sense that like, you're not able to get outside, you know, you're, you don't have the time or like, you know, our, our recent forefathers and mothers did to go out and walk around and have this experience. And so we're sort of being sneakily leveraging technology to, to drag people back out again. So, you know, hopefully that'll give them the access um, and the ease of access, you know, that'll make it make it exciting and something they want to do. I, I think every hospital bed should have one of these things. Every kindergarten, every daycare should have one of these things. There are so many different use cases mm -hmm. to where somebody can do that. You know, say, hey, today we're going to be exploring Borneo. We're going to uh -huh. go to Borneo sonically right. and we're going to yeah. learn about the birds that are there. Just so much curiosity develops. And I think somebody like David Attenborough, Planet Earth, all of that stuff, this is exactly the kind of curiosity that he spent his whole career trying to foster in people. Right. And exactly. needless to say, if I'm in a hospital bed, would I rather be listening to nature, soothing things like that, learning about that, or would I rather be hearing the beeps and the traumas of all of this man-made world right. that's, that's physically around you? And Avatar is somewhat cliche. The new Avatar is coming out. But I think yeah. there is this deep, as cliche as it is, it hits on a deep, deep, deep human feeling. That is that a lot of man-made stuff is kind of negative and kind of makes us feel sort of bad. You've got the men with their machines and their chaos and their bombs and their fire and their loud... And then you've got this nature thing and all of us dream of living on the avatar planet. What yeah, is that? Right. Why is that? Why did it hit such a nerve if what we're doing as humans is so awesome? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think it's easy to romanticize too and go a little, a little overboard <laughs> about how great it is to be outside. There's a reason people built houses in the first place yeah. is because it kind of sucks to live outdoors. I can tell you from being a nature guide, like it's not always fun, but yeah. um, I think that um, I think that we certainly have swung pretty far in the isolated digital realm and i'm certainly no different i spent a lot of my time in front of a screen i think it's just we it's okay but i think it needs to be counterbalanced with some real physical connection and um, i think sound is one of the ways to do that yeah and i think it's just you know we're, we're in bodies we're not just brains and our bodies need those things to to um you know we have 
um, a long evolutionary history that has developed in terms of our connection to um, the natural world. And to the point where it's almost bizarre that we're talking about the natural world where it's a separate thing. I mean, we, yeah. you know, we sort of get in this state where we think we're not, we're sort of separate from it. But I think that separation is, you know, it takes something away from you. So, uh, yes. you know, we want to swing it the other way a little bit. Right. And if you are safe in your house, maybe your app will say, hey, buddy, psst, sorry to wake you, but there's actually a tiger outside right now. <laughs> there's a bunch of birds, yeah. but, right. also but also a mountain lion. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe don't go outside for a minute and a half. Right, right. That could be that could or be a bear. warning system. Exactly. Various snakes, a rattlesnake nearby. Who knows? I mean, you totally. could identify anything. Obviously, that's the next logical progression. Like you said, you get connected to insects, all this other stuff. Anything that makes anything, sound, yeah. Anything that makes sound. Yeah. And we're also even creating these sensors to put in your yard. Like you can put these moisture sensors and flood sensors and weather sensors. So you can actually keep track of your habitat too. So you can say like, oh, your garden needs watering or your pond is overflowing or maybe even some information about soil data and microclimate data um, that we can then use to see how birds are using microhabitats, you know, when they migrate. So yeah, sky's sort of the limit. I mean, I almost feel like there's so many great things that we're talking about right now, but I almost feel like the best thing we don't even know what it's going to be yet. I think once we turn the system on and, you know, it starts bringing in data and we start seeing how, it, how people use it, I think we're going to, we're going to see some amazing stuff happen. Super cool. I'm sold. I think it's fantastic. Great. And now that we're approaching the end of our time, I want to ask to, to sort of bring it back a little bit. So it's very, very clear that you are on a mission that is far greater than yourself to sum it up yeah. in a neat yeah. little way. What's the difference between going to work at a job and being on a mission in your opinion? Uh, okay. So I think that I think that, um, there's pluses and minuses. So jobs are stable. Well, not so much anymore, but as a rule, jobs traditionally have been more stable, right? So you can go, you get sort of told what you're supposed to be doing, you get a regular salary and so on. Um, so that's actually kind of nice. Um, but I think that having a mission gives you more of a sense of purpose and it, it requires more of you in the sense of, you really have to invent all this stuff from the ground up. Like I've learned a hundred things about business and startups and, you know, accounting and graphic design and um, marketing and talking to people and, you know, electronics all as a part of this project. And all of it has been sort of bootstrapped for me, you know, for the large part it has. And so um, in some ways it's harder um, to be working when you have a mission like this, because I think it makes it, um, cause it's not our, the, the ground isn't already laid for you. You know, you really have to build the foundation from the bottom up on a new project like this and answer all the questions. Well, what's it going to do? Where are you going to build it? Who's going to buy it? Why, you know, how are we going to make this actually happen and, and really then make it happen? That's a lot. Um, and so for me, that's always been though, what I'm most excited about, like creating those things. Um, I certainly don't see, I think you can do well in, on either path, honestly, you know, but my personality certainly is not suited for, you know, just, uh, kind of working, plotting ahead, you know, in a job. Um, so for me, it's the only way to go. And, and honestly, it's, it's really rewarding. I mean, you know, I think that having, we have one life and one, you know, as far as we know, and one attempt to use these resources that we have and make something out of it. And I think that for me, I feel like the, my need to, um, to give and also be connected, um, is something that I try to nourish and it's something that's been really rewarding for me. So I don't know, um, you know, maybe a lot of cliches there, but, <laughs> but that's, that's sort of been my experience. You know, I really, I really do feel like, um, 
you know, f- creating something like this, creating something new is really has so many benefits, um, monetary or not, you know, so that's it's sort of, uh, it's more about living life in a certain way than about, you know, what your income is. So true. What a, what a great answer. And there's no limits when you put yourself on a path of exploration. If right. you're in a job, you can expect certain things. Like you said, a paycheck is coming in. But the limit to what you can expect is, let's say, to work your way up the ladder. So I'm going to become a middle manager. Then maybe one day I'll become a senior manager if that's something that I want to do. But what is so great about a mission like this is that the most exciting part about it for you is that you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're going to discover in five years. And that is awesome. You have no idea what that great insight is going to be when 200,000 of these things turn on, what kind of data is going to happen. But you know it's going to be cool. Deep down, you know it's going to be awesome. (laughs) We know something's going to happen. Something's going to be cool. (laughs) I I think it'll be cool. And I think that open-ended question is what has always fascinated explorers of all kinds, both in nature and the planet and in business and in building something. You just, yeah. you don't know what the ceiling is. You don't know how many of these you can sell. You don't know if Target will put them in the shelves one day. You just don't know what's going to happen on any front. And that's interesting. Yeah. I think, and ultimately I think, you know, we get so few opportunities to actually do something meaningful in the world or to help other people in the world in a way that's significant. And so I think when you see that opportunity, you should grab it. Cause I think that um, it doesn't come along very often. And if you don't, don't do it, you know, it'll be gone. So yeah, don't want to miss those. Well, that is a great, great, great parting word. <laughs> and I do want to leave the floor to you. We're reaching the end of our time. So with these final moments of our discussion, I want to open up the discussion. You can promote anything you want to promote, send people wherever you want to send them. What action do you want a listener who has made it this far to take right now? Well, I would just send them to our website, Terra Listens, T-E-R-R-A-L-I-S-T-E-N-S.com. And you can learn more about Terra. Um, From there, you can go to our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and all our other stuff. We actually have a bunch of videos on learning bird sounds now. We've been creating a content channel with like short three to four minute videos that teach you about sounds and about some of our favorite birds and all sorts of fun stuff um, that's, you know, I think hopefully entertaining and and, you know, informative. Um, So yeah, terralistens.com and you know, we hope to see you there and hope you're uh, as excited about the project as we are. Sounds great. I know I am. Everybody yeah. hit that pre-order button. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait to see this thing in the wild. So again, great. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I knew it was going to be cool before I sat down, but I'm even more jazzed now. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And thanks for doing these great shows. My pleasure. It's This is what it's all about. And with that, (laughs) the podcast is officially over. (laughs) 